Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Lance Psycho and Alex Gore, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Mark. Oh, it's great to have you guys back. Uh, Lance Psycho and Alex Gore are Longmont Colorado-based architects and co-founders of F9 Productions. They're good friends of mine. They're good friends of the community. They're good friends of the profession. They've been here before multiple times. February 2017 was your first visit here, guys. Long time ago. Episode 158, getting noticed for doing fun projects. Sort of a do-it-yourself PR hack to get published and get noticed by the clients you want most. Excellent podcast episode. If you want to learn how to sort of do your own PR and get noticed, you should go back to episode 158. October 2017, you were back. Actually, it was just Alex. Alex, you were my first Entree Architect Facebook Live call when I first started experimenting with Facebook Live, which eventually evolved into Context and Clarity and everything that Jeff's doing over at the Facebook group now. Um, that was episode 190. I published that as a podcast episode. And then just recently, April 2021. Um, you were talking about how you started your construction company and how to be a builder as a small firm architect, uh, which was the number one episode of 2021, episode 369, yeah. uh, had the most downloads of any episode in 2021. So thank you for sharing your knowledge yeah. last year and all these years. Um, you've shared your knowledge at the expert training sessions inside the membership. As I mentioned, you contribute regularly over at the Facebook group. Since launching their firm in 2020, it has steadily grown to become an award-winning architecture, construction, and development firm with now a team of 11 employees. And they've shared every step of the way of their critically acclaimed, on their critically acclaimed podcast inside the firm. Every week, they open their, I look at it as their partner meeting. I know they don't promote it as that, but it's basically the two of them coming together and talking about what's sharing, what works, what doesn't work, what they have planned for in the future talking about the things that they're struggling with, things that they're celebrating, and they let us in and they sort of share it. it I look at it as a series, um, sort of as a masterclass of launching and running a successful architecture firm. You should go back to the episode one and listen to the entire series of podcasts because it basically shares the growth of F9 
If you're not subscribed, go over to insidethefirmpodcast.com and you can subscribe there. Um, and as Lance and Alex continued to grow their business, they strive to empower the people they hire. They pride themselves in developing employees and growing them into leaders, not only to contribute to their firm at the very highest level, but also to add to the fabric of our profession. They're very focused on making the profession a better place through their firm. And that's what I want to talk about today. How did you do that, Alex and, and Lance? How did you grow from the two of you to now a team of 11? How do you, how do you find the right people? How do you keep them happy and motivated as you grow? Um, I want to learn all of that. I want to talk about all that. But before that, I want to give people some context. I know we've talked about, you've been here before, so we've heard both of your origin stories. Just for some context, maybe um, share how did the two of you start? And uh, how did you go from the two of you to where you are now? And then we'll roll into, you know, how you grew this thing. Yeah, I'll give a brief overview and then we can dive into specific questions. Sounds great. Um, so Lance and I met in college. We kind of had an eye on each other because we saw each other's skill and it was sort of a, a competition. And eventually we realized, why don't we just team up? It would be way easier and way more powerful <laughs> if, if we teamed up. So we did that in third year doing a skyscraper competition. And then in fifth year, we decided, hey, in 10 years, so that was 2008, 2018, we'd start a firm. Uh, I went to Daniel Liebskin, worked there for about a year. And 2008 was a disastrous year for the construction yep. industry. Lance was out here with Studio HT. Uh, his firm owners won Young Architect of the Year, great little boutique firm. Um, and then when 2008 happened, I thought a construction management master's degree would, would weather the storm. And after I came out of that, it was still the recession in the construction industry. <laughs> so Lance got his own work because he had to, he had a family to raise. And I said, Hey, I'm coming down. And he's like, yeah, sure. Maybe. And I go, well, it's going to happen. So this is happening. <laughs> and I got the apartment kind of right above him, kitty corner. Uh, and then our, di my dining room was, was the office. Then he'd come up at, my wife still says like, he'd come up at five in the morning and she was my girlfriend back then. And I was like, yeah, that's just how it works yeah. <laughs> and, and, and start work. And we eventually grew from there. We started hiring. I'm sure we'll get into that process when we decided and how it worked. Um, started teaching at, at, at CU and took incremental steps based on foundational principles of what we thought a firm should be and taking on more responsibility as we went, hopefully to gain more reward. Um, so it, it's been, has it been 11 years? Yeah. 11 almost years, 12, yeah. almost 12. Um, and we're up to about 11 people, which is, which is a good pace. One a year is a good pace for hiring. Um, you can do it faster or slower. And eventually we're an architecture firm that does a whole bunch of wide range of everything from a small, tiny addition to a, a master plan community with churches, residentials, and commercial spaces um, in there. And that's the architecture side. The development side is what Lance and I decide to buy <laughs> that exist and or make ourselves. And the construction side is turning those great clients into construction projects to just have another leg under us. Um, there's some other things we do too, but the, that's kind of the main growth uh, strategy that we had. Yeah. It's fun watching you guys grow. I mean, to, to, to see where you've come from to where you are now with the, the development and the construction company and all the things you're doing, uh, the podcast, all of it um, is, is interesting and fascinating to, to listen to and to watch you, watch you grow. Um, let's start at the beginning. How intentional from the beginning was the firm? I and mean, when you guys came together, did you know that you wanted to grow a firm to 11 and beyond, or was it just sort of organic? Oh, here's the next step. Let's do the next step. How, how intentional was it from the beginning? Well, I don't think we came out of the gate and said, we want, uh, one, we want to hire one employee per year up until a certain amount of employees and then we're done. And then where do we go from there? So, uh, but we did have the intention, as Alex mentioned, you know, with the night of with the night of our graduation, uh, when we were on the top of the Hodo hotel in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, 
you know, one of our professors was joking about when you guys should, you guys like, you're going to go your separate ways, but uh, you guys are, he used to call us the Renaissance team um, because we would kind of have both of our hands, one, one foot in the, you know, traditional architectural design world where you're modeling and sketching and using clay. And then the other side of the coin, we were very much in technology. Um, we had, you know, supercomputers way back then they were like quad cores and, you know, they were like super expensive. That was a big deal back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it was the only student loans we actually took out were for, for actually those computers. But, and then we actually ended up using them for the first, gosh, I think three or four years of the firm. So, um, so we always had that intention of teaming up again in some kind of way. It happened sooner than rather than later. And therefore I think it was organic in the way it happened. Um, And then we just rolled with the punches and, and made it happen. I think one of the really big metrics and and parts to like the seed, I would say to our, why we were able to actually grow is we, there was two of us. And so, you know, one of the things we did intentionally was I would do right at the beginning, I would do most, I would try to do most of the billable work. And then as you mentioned, Mark, that on our first episode with you, it was, you know, doing sort of marketing kind of fun projects in order to get our name out there and try to get some more exposure and everything. And that was really the first attempt at trying to get bigger and grow and expand. And so Alex would do those projects and they were very successful. I mean, we would still collaborate on them. You know, I'd go over to his desk and we'd talk and there was some work that I would do. But again, most of the time it was like, okay, I will be as efficient as possible for you, Al, uh, us, and then uh, try to be as billable as possible and keep the thing going. and And then we multiply from there. Um, then, then the thing that really kicked us into high gear in terms of, so again, this is still organic is, uh, we reached that we were looking to hire somebody, um, because we thought we had enough work and when, you know, that was a learning lesson for us. We really didn't have enough work to hire somebody. We, and so, but through that, uh, the organic part of it was we reached out to CU Boulder, um, because we thought, oh, why, like, why wouldn't we hire just from CU Boulder? It makes sense. They have what's the equivalent of like a, an environmental design degree. Um, and so, you know, they do some architecture enough to where it was like, yeah, we could hire people from there. We reached out to them and the candidates at that time were just not uh, as adept in Revit basically for us to be able to have them as sort of called turnkey employees, you know, where you right. can just, Hey, you're pretty much ready to go. Great. We can just throw work on your plate and, and you're, you're billable. Um, so we don't have to, spend a lot of capital at the beginning to try to get them to a billable point, you know, cause there's always that, the investment in an employee. And uh, so we reached out to them and then we said, you know, Hey, we, we just, we interviewed some people and they weren't quite up to where we need them to be. And we're local and we we're experts at Revit. Uh, how can we help? And they go, well, um, we don't have any openings for teaching in our environmental design department, but the architectural engineering department just lost one of their professors and they need somebody to step in and teach a 100 level course. So just a entry level course about um, it's called engineering drawing. And so we're like, yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't we? We've always, we have master's degrees. We, we can teach, you know, we were qualified for it. And uh, so we, we jumped on that. And, and basically when we did that, then it was like, oh my goodness, I totally didn't even think about from eight to noon, Tuesdays and Thursdays, like we have all these clients with the architecture side of things we need, but we have this other stream of income. Like we have to hire somebody to help out when, when we're at, when we're teaching, otherwise it's just going to fall apart. Um, so that's really what kicked us in the high gear of hiring our very first employee. Yeah. Essentially you have to somehow block out I can't do anything. So someone else has to do it because a lot of times when, when, when you're hiring someone, they're not as good or they come from a different background. So they're doing stuff differently. And you think, Oh, I can always put this on my plate. I can always put this on my plate and you have to be okay with letting go. You have to be okay with giving that up, knowing that there, you need to redline or teach, or even after you redline and teach, it might not be the specific way you want or perfectly how you're going to do it. Um, that's the key lesson. And that's the key lesson too, as, as people in our firm are getting older is they know that they can answer the city quest, 
city's questions or execute a floor plan or a detail better than the junior staff. But then they're never going to get better if you keep doing that. And you're never going to get a break (laughs) if you keep doing the work. So delegation is what I'm hearing is that you have to be comfortable with delegation um, and comfortable with letting go of some of the control that it doesn't have to be exactly the way that you do it as long as the result is what needs to be done. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. And like we could touch into how training kind of helps that, but I've always heard from way back in the day from different books that delegation is the hard task. And I never actually believed it because for me, it's not the hard task, but I find out for some people, it is the hard task and you have to teach that skill of of how to delegate, meaning, you know, whatever task that you're giving, essentially, let's just say, Mark, you're a new person, you know, like, Hey, here's your task. Here's an example, you know, of the task that you, that we've done before. And then knowing that I'm going to get it back from you. I have to redline it. I cannot execute any of those red lines whatsoever. I need to plan for that in the budget. I need to plan for that in the time frame. I need to plan for that in the expectations of the clients. Because Mark, you tell me you'll be done in a day. I tell the client they'll be done in a day. But then literally people will forget, oh, it's not how it should be. Either because they don't know, or maybe I didn't communicate enough information to you. Maybe I forgot something. So all of a sudden you have to manage the client's expectations do those, those hard red lines or that meeting or, or walk through it, give it back to you so that you do it. Um, and then you can kind of transition it over. Those, those steps are key. And I think people have an emotional attachment to, you know, being productive and stuff like that. They just don't want to do it, but they don't see the benefit in the long term if they do the hard work in the beginning. With that first hire, did you feel fear? in not knowing whether it was the right time or the right person, because I find through conversations with a lot of architects who are thinking about hiring that first employee that they're just, and they don't recognize that it's fear, but I see it as fear that they just, it, there's this, they're, it, they're afraid to, to take on that commitment because they don't know what it's going to be like. Did you experience that? And how did you get over it? If you did not, not with the first hire, because we knew we had enough work and we got, I would say we got lucky. Uh, that, that's kind of one of the points I wanted to make today overall was that, you know, like, how do you find the right employee? Boy, it's difficult, uh, especially when like fitting into culture. It's so, and, and I'm learning through, uh, you know, on our show, interviewing all of these folks who uh, on the Monday morning coffee episodes, who are on other entrepreneurs in totally different businesses, or even sometimes related, I guess, about, uh, ways to hire and interview people that is much more thorough. And uh, it seems like it's a, it's a, a better way to than just the one half hour to one hour interview, because I think everybody can put a facade on for, for an hour. And that's one of the lessons that we're learning. It's like, wow, that person was uh, very bubbly or energetic. And they seemed like they would be a good fit personality wise in the firm. And we were finding out that that's, in some cases, it's not the case. We're a very extroverted firm um, from eight to five, seven to five, you know, depending on when you're coming in or coming out. And so like Fridays, for example, if you walk into the office and Al has experienced this and I have too, both, you know, if we have like a meeting on Friday right away in the morning and one of us comes in like the very last person into the office and you walk up and you're like, oh my God, this place is buzzing because we have an op- open open studio environment, buzzing, there's energy, everybody's fun. It's Friday. It's hard to be angry that day. Um, everybody knows we're going to play around at ARE Jeopardy on the show. And then everybody knows, you know, we're going to go out to eat. We're going to talk about what we're doing this weekend. It's Colorado. It's There's out. There's so many things to do outdoors. We're all we're generally outdoor people here. Um so, so back to the, you know, were we, were we nervous about that hire? No, because push came to shove. And I think that's, that's just kind of like how Alex and I roll. Uh, so, you know, a lot of the times is like, well, push is going to, we, we allow ourselves to get pushed. And then it's like, we don't really have a choice. Oh my gosh, we're in the water. Oh my gosh, we're over the other side of the fence. Oh my gosh, we just have to, we just have to do this. 
uh, sort of thing. We just take that leap. And so, you know, uh, but there are other instances for sure where employees later on, um, for instance, uh, you know, um, the, uh, one of the, one of the gals we hired, um, uh, who was still a full-time employee, I was a hundred percent nervous once we hired her because it was like, well, I, I, the workload was not there to justify it entirely, but we needed to do it. Um, we just, we needed to expand one more time because I think we saw that like the work was going to come later on. And so it was a scramble. It, it ended up working out. And so if there is a perfect world of when you are hiring, yeah, Al, if there is a perfect world of when, like uh, how, circumstances of how you could do it, it's like I said with the university, okay, you've got this other line of work. You can't perform the current work. You have to hire. And or, um, for instance, if we, um, Alex talked about some of our bigger projects that we do. And so, you know, so some of these master plan communities, right, that are sitting on like five to 10 acres and stuff like that. When those potentially come online, then it's like, oh, gosh, it's an opportunity to either expand or tamp down all the lower level projects and fees and everything, which also makes me nervous because if anybody who you know listens to the show and understands how we operate, it's like we believe in, in a diversity of work, a diversity of uh, project types um, from high to low so that we can weather the next recession because that was our big learning lesson from the other people that hired uh, that, that uh, laid us off during the last recession was they put all of their eggs in one basket. Um, so that's kind yeah. of- and, and go back to the, the fear question. In the beginning, it's not a fear question because Lance and I have decided that before we hire, you have to have three projects mm. for them. And the reason why is because they go out to the client and they wait, they go out to the city and you know this, you might've uh, gained, uh, gained the knowledge if you listen to our podcast, we're not too fans, too much of a fans of the planning departments uh, when it comes to efficiency, to say the least of, of, of that. Um, so there's all these gaps. So if you have three projects, then they can fill those gaps. It can be done a different way if you have steadier, larger projects, meaning if something, if it's so large that once it goes to a client, they still have something that you know that can be billable, that's useful, that won't be work that will be for not. The same thing is if it goes to the city for planning, maybe they can start on the floor plans more, you know, or start coordinating electrical or, or things like that. So you can do it with lesser projects if you realize that there's going to be these huge gaps in there and they have to be able to be billable. I think the fear comes uh, six because those projects, like you should have enough for like six to eight months. Like you should be at least that solid so that you can get them under your feet and then go get more projects. So the first six to eight months is fine. It's the eight months to a year to a year and a half. I'm like, oh crap, do I have enough work? Like that's, that's where the, the fear comes in basically. Um, in, in, yeah, in that sense. Have you ever had a bad hire? Did you hire somebody and then have to let them yeah. go? And if so, how soon did you know they were the wrong people? There was, uh, I'll give a, I'll give a, I'll give a couple examples, I guess. And we'll see if Al wants to chime in. Uh, so because we dabble in, well, they don't dabble in, because we have uh, one foot in construction, one foot in architecture, and we have since we built the first tiny house in 2014, um, when we got to the second round of tiny houses, uh, that was, we had like a, we were actually getting paid for those ones, right? The other one was just a marketing piece. Um, so the ones we were getting paid for, we had a substantial construction labor budget. And we had hired uh, this, this gentleman, we had interviewed this gentleman prior to doing the construction. And we, we were think because we were thinking we were trying to hire for, uh, again, we had this construction project coming in. It was like, oh my gosh, now we're going to have to dedicate a large portion of the F9 architecture firm to doing the construction for the houses. How are we going to manage these other projects that have the architecture projects? So it was again a push come to shove sort of thing. Um, and so then we were hired, we were during that interview process, one of the guys we interviewed, he uh he just didn't seem like a good architecture fit. 
And so, uh, but, but he had this amazing construction background. I mean, incredible. Um, you, he, and he proved it on the job site. Like he can handle all the tools, all of that. So we got, we got that tiny house two project and we started construction. It was like, we were about to start construction. And I go like, Al, I, I, I think one of the things we need is we need one person out there at all times uh, for sure. And so that, so I called that guy back up and said, Hey, we don't have a position for architecture. You know, we just don't. Um, but your construction again is in, you know, so he jumped on it and we, we hired him and then we finished the tiny houses. And then he sort of pushed his way into the architecture firm, which was fine. And because then, you know, once we, it's funny, like we, we finished these construction projects and then we sort of back in the day, we'd kind of come back to the firm and go like, okay, where are we at? Like, oh my God, that was a dizzying three months. <laughs> where are we at? And we kind of calibrated. So when I did that, when we both did that coming back again, it was, oh, we have all this BIM work and it was through ArcCAD. And so it was like, well, let's, you know, if you, if you want, if em, employee who was working on the tiny houses in construction, if you you know, he just kind of pushed his way into the architecture firm again, very, very, um, adamant about it. And I go, sure. I mean, if you're willing to do this kind of work, you know, nobody else wanted to do the BIM work and I, I get it. They all want to be architects. That makes sense. And so he goes, sure, I'll do it. Did it. Uh, went through these ebbs and flows up and down and everything. And in the end, that was one person we had to let go. It was uh, kind of a tragic situation overall. Um, it just, so that was a mistake in the sense of going through that whole cycle because we that was the only person we've had to say we just got to let you go did you did you know that when when he was pushing his way into the architecture firm uh into the architecture side of things did did your did your instinct did you know yeah instinctually exactly like the way you know and we i knew it was it was instinct but it was also like I'm a very observative person when I think anyway, when it comes to people like, and my wife finally believes me, right? Because I'm like, I told you so, like, I told you so when we met that person, this is exactly what they were going to do. Like we shouldn't have worked with them or whatever, you know, intuition. And now she gets a very, very strong intuition. Yeah. But I also actually, we both observed like the way that person was trying to solve problems they would add more problems to solving the problem. And then it was like, mm. the whole point of being a problem solver in architecture and design is looking at the big problem and compartmentalizing and breaking it down and then solving the problem. It's not adding more compartments. Yep. I have a tangible example too, from a couple of years ago. Um, basically what happened is uh, it was it was kind of on Lance's side of the firm. It was an employee that was on Lance's side of the firm and it kind of trickled down through the hierarchy. And a lot of times red lines are done through PDFs and, and things like that. For, for some reason, I was handed a model because I basically had to take over um, because this person was actually leaving uh, on their own accord. So I was getting into the project and I looked at that model and I thought this person was here for you know a year plus or minus. Um, this is like the second month you've been here. It was, it, there was so many errors in it that I almost wanted to yell at the firm and be like, there is no way a year can go by. And this level of modeling is happening. It's inexcusable. Um, and we've talked about different ways of training and stuff like that. And, and one key thing is if you are redlining, like, and even if you're a couple layers removed from it, like, especially going in the future, don't be afraid to go into the model and see what's happening because you can fake it and it cannot be right on a PDF. And it matters, you know, just because the PDF looks a certain way. Um, it matters for uh, how fast you can model. It matters for when you cut different sections that you weren't thinking about because you need to answer an RFI. It matters if you're handing off projects. And I mean, it was so bad that after I tried to clean it up to hand it off to another staff person and let them know, Hey, you know, this is where it's at. You know, it's half cleaned up. You're going to clean up the other half. They're like, can I just start over? And they did. And they did actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was another 
tell that if, if it's obviously people have to learn and grow, but if there's enough time and you check in and there wasn't, you either first take extreme ownership first. Hey, are we not teaching correctly? Is someone not reviewing enough? You know, stuff like that. Have that meeting and saying, Hey, looked at the model. It isn't where it needs to be. We're going to take the first steps and, and, and help out. Yeah. Let's just say it's four months later and it, and you know, people are taking those next steps and it's not working out. Then it is, this is you, this is you. And this kind of happened with another employee also years and years ago. Like you need to, you need to get your stuff together. You know, you probably won't say it like that. Um, and, and, you know, we tried taking that first step. This is your second, second step. And, and it's, we basically say they're strikes, you know, and three strikes you're out. So you let them know one and two, you know, and they, I mean, if you know that you have two strikes, you you can say, we're going to review it in three months and see how it goes. That's either going to be a third strike or not. Um, and they're tough, they're tough conversations, but when a lot of people like to think, and I understand why about their firm as a family, because you know them, you know, their families, you know, their wives, you know that. So in a sense, it is because the firm is paying for the food, for the clothing, for the mortgage and all that. And if you don't take those small steps, you, those hard steps, you're hurting everyone else. You're hurting everyone else. Um, what, what I think it is, is, uh, so from, from, this is purely from our perspective is I think if there's some, if there's any rules of thumb I could give to the audience here, it would be like you said, Mark, uh, trust your instinct. So if somebody is trying to basically push their way into the firm and you instinctually, your gut feeling, even maybe there's a little bit of your, 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 your mental feeling is it says no, it's like uh, it's like a stuff you see in nature, right? So if you see like a mushroom hiking through the woods and it's bright red, you know, avoid that mushroom, right? right? That's just like nature or like a snake that is yeah. very bright. Same, same thing. Like trust your instinct with that. It, I think, I think you say no, no matter how hard they're trying to push in. If your instinct says no, I think uh, there's, you know, we're hearing a lot about this acronym right now, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. And I think it's a buzzword. I just interviewed Michelle Seiler Tucker and asked her about that on Monday morning at coffee, which will be out on May, May 9th. I'd highly encourage everybody to listen to that for her reaction. This is a woman who has sold thousands, bought, bought and sold thousands of businesses across the United States. She's one of the top, top ladies in the nation for, and firms for doing that. Like she knows her way around business. She's a multi, multi-millionaire, best-selling author, et cetera. I asked her about that. I go like, what do you think about the fact that we're actually in America hiring based on diversity versus meritocracy? Do you think it's a fad? Do you think it's a long-term strategy? He goes, I think it's going to end up in, dis- in disaster. And so I think going back and fundamentally thinking about pure meritocracy, what are your, what's your skill level? What are you, where are you at with that? Um, you, you, you need to, I think we need to start reevaluating that because I'm here to tell you, like there's examples um, that we can, that, that we've had in our, our place where it hasn't worked out for the best. Um, and, it, you know, mutual, mutual parting, parting ways and everything like that. So, uh, you know, that's to talk about mistakes about hiring and then obviously learn from those mistakes. Um, you know, hiring somebody who has more experience versus somebody who is not, we've experienced that too. Like, I don't care if you have 30 years of experience. And that's why we say that, like, I don't care. There's an episode we did is like, I, we don't care if your uncle has 30 years of experience, maybe he's been doing it wrong for 30 years. You know, it really comes down to like, can you, can you do it or, or not um, from that perspective? So like those rules of thumb, I think are, are very important. Um, oh, oh, one more, one more. Now that I think about it, sorry, Dal, then I'll let you go. You can't interrupt today. I'm not, I'm doing good. He's doing a great job. Thank you. <laughs> he really does is uh, basically if uh, we've had this circumstance before and maybe other people, maybe it's always nuanced with us. I don't know if like, anyway, there we've had candidates interview with us and then we offer them a job and then they say, ah, sorry, no thanks. And then I took another job and then we, we re put the job listing back on whatever platform. And then they, this person comes back three months later. And we're like, well, I thought you didn't want the job. Like, we thought you were great. What's going on? And they go, oh, the other one, 
the other one didn't work out or something, something like this, you're their second choice. You need to make sure you are their first choice. Yep. Um, and then also another about doing what's best for the firm. Lance was talking about this one hire that we didn't technically have enough work for and to trust. And he also said, trust your gut. So with this employee, we basically broke one of our rules to make it easier, but we knew that she would be a good fit. We knew that she brought skills that were great, um, fit in the culture, had a good work ethic. So I, I, I do want to emphasize, stick as strongly as you can to the to kind of the rules and the procedures. But sometimes it's like this person is going to definitely help out our family. So we need to do what we can to, to bring that that person in. And it has worked out. It's worked out great. Yeah. She's actually leveled us up because now we laser scan all of our oh, existing. Yeah. That's, you know, and she's teaching other people how to do it. And clients love her, you know. So. Let's take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for their support of this episode. This episode is brought to you by BQE the makers of BQE Core, systems and standard operating procedures. You already know that that's how to build a profitable business and find the freedom you want. You need systems and procedures. But you struggle with choosing which systems you need most and how to implement those systems quickly so you can get back to doing what you love most. The Designing Your Business Masterclass series was created by acclaimed architect and business consultant, Douglas Teeger to help fellow architects and engineers run their firms more profitably while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. Douglas grew from a solo practitioner to become managing partner of his 30-plus person firm and then later sold his firm so he can do what he does today, helping architects be more successful at Tiger Consulting. On the third Wednesday of every month, Douglas dives deep into an essential topic that will strengthen the profitability of your firm and make it sustainable for growth in the years to come. Register now for the next Designing Your Business Masterclass with Douglas Teeger at bqe.com masterclass and start implementing powerful systems for the profitability you need and the freedom you want. Every live masterclass session includes AIA continuing education credit and when you visit bqe.com masterclass, you'll have access to the full library of past sessions on demand. The Designing Your Business Masterclass is free, and it's brought to you by our friends at BQE, the makers of BQE Core, the software that makes it easy to manage your projects and people for maximum productivity and ultimate profitability. Register now for the Designing Your Business Masterclass at bqe.com masterclass. That's bqe.com masterclass. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. There's a lot to love about being an entrepreneur architect, right? But trying to figure out your financials on your own is not one of those things. Luckily, there's FreshBooks, the all-in-one accounting solution that's built for business owners like us. FreshBooks takes all the not-so-fun parts of running a business from building and tracking invoices to managing online payments to organizing expenses and automates them with features like the new digital bills and receipt scanner, saving you up to 11 hours per week in the process, 11 hours. FreshBooks has your back at tax time too. It's almost tax time. With a ton of reports to choose from, you'll know exactly where your business stands and you can easily hand the keys over to your accountant so they can take over when it's time to reconcile everything for the year. Try FreshBooks, try FreshBooks for free. For 30 days, no credit card required. It's free. Go to freshbooks.com slash architect. Freshbooks.com slash architect to get started today. That's freshbooks.com slash architect. So what will you do with your 11 more hours each week? This episode is brought to you by rcat.com. We all have that one story, that one project that had such a unique situation that it required a solution that you had rarely considered before. We share these stories in private professional circles with our friends and our colleagues, but there has never been a collection of these stories of conflict and triumph all in one place until now. 
Detailed is a podcast series that features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who share their insights and expertise as they highlight some of the most complex, interesting, and oddball building conditions that they have ever encountered and the ingenuity it took to solve them. Join host Sharice Lakeside, a.k.a. CSI Kraken, a senior specifications writer at RDH Building Science as she uncovers lessons learned to help you navigate similar challenges that may arise in your next project. Detailed, an original podcast by ArtCat. Listen and subscribe right now at ArtCat.com slash podcast. That's ArtCat.com slash podcast. A-R-C-A-T dot com slash podcast. Detailed, every building has a story. Please visit our sponsors today and thank them. Thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Talk a little bit about your culture. You mentioned, Lance, earlier about Fridays and the open studio and going out to dinner and having a meal. How intentional is the culture and how important is the culture to retaining your employees? The It's a, sort of organic, but also intentional. Uh, I think it's hard to, if there's a blurry line. Uh, basically, what when it was just me and Al, um, what we would do every Friday is we would go play basketball, he and I, for lunch and with our buddies in, in Longmont. We'd go to the Y, we'd play pickup basketball for like an hour, two hours, something like that. And then we'd be, we were like 25, 23, so we could eat anything. And so we were even hungrier after that, right? And then we'd like, let's get the greasiest fast food. And it was fun. Shakes and shakes. Yeah, and shakes, and it was fun. And uh, and we would listen to gangster rap all day because we're, we're millennials. So we grew up in the golden era of rap, right? Hip hop, 90s. Um, and so it was just like, like heaven. It was just us two hanging out and like, you know, maybe, maybe this will fail, but, it'll, but it, but it didn't. And then it continued and it was like, well, we're not going to have everybody go play basketball, <clears throat> but there's something magical to this. Like it just felt right. And it was fun and all of that. And so what it's, so then that's what kind of led to the intentionality of F9 Fridays. So we have, uh, we still play gangster rap. We have a millennial and a zoomer um, aged firm. Uh, right. So, um, and so people are still, we're younger. So we're into that kind of music and stuff. So that's, there's a list that people can add to on Spotify. And then, then we, we keep building on it. Right. So I mentioned, you know, then we, we, we record our Friday show on the podcast at usually 10 AM mountain standard and, uh, and then publish it later on in the day, but that's ahead of the lunch. And then we, we, now we do this ARE jeopardy. It's fun. Everybody comes down, even if they're licensed, they still partake in it because they're still learning lessons. And a lot of the, a lot of the little questions we have on there are like us being contractors as well. And we'll have a code question or even a client question of like, how do you deal with this kind of client and stuff? And people have, so then it's competitive in a fun way. Uh, whoever wins gets to pick out where we eat. Um, and then what's really nice is like our employees have added to it themselves, Right. And so they're always excited to like, where, where do we get to pick to eat? Everybody's got their favorite restaurant. And some, and now um, they've started wearing like Hawaiian, Hawaiian shirts. Shirt. Yeah. I need to get one <laughs> Hawaiian shirt Friday. Um, and I think it depends on the, the firm that you are and the culture that you need to succeed because some people are doing remote work. Some big are, people are big corporate firms. All, all of that is fine. We found out that our firm doesn't operate. Everyone was in studio culture, right? And we don't have that long studio hours or anything like that, but we have the feel of everyone can ask questions, organic stuff comes all the time and you need to be engaging to work at our firm. And this is what we've learned Yeah, because a lot of people, if they're coming to Colorado or from Colorado, Longmont isn't the top destination. It's the suburb of Boulder and Denver. You know, it's not literally the, literally the only reason i i landed here and same with al was like it's all we could afford yep um, i still love it like i won't move i mean I, have, I live in a dream house but yeah yep but even if it was those areas basically it's very important to be engaged in the firm so that person in studio that would just come be silent do their work and leave that doesn't help out the family and the reason that doesn't help out the family is because 
if you can't speak up or ask questions or go sit by someone's desk and be comfortable with it, you're not learning as fast. So for example, uh, one of the employees and I was down here just talking, literally talking, trying to figure out this project and realize that we needed a great interior designer and these other ones wouldn't work for whatever reason. And because the firm is open and engaging, we walked upstairs and Lance was talking to another employee and he was saying, literally talking about interior designers. And we're like, bam, there's our answer. Like literally minutes after we talked about it. So I know this has to do with personality traits and personality traits have a double-edged sword because mm-hmm. we, do, I'm not saying everyone is, uh, you know, uh, extroverted and, and crazy and stuff like that. And there might be some people, the silent type that are super productive and can hammer away and, and maybe even get into some technical stuff that we're lacking. We are okay with sacrificing some of that for the benefits of flexible, dynamic uh, workplace that's engaging. And I think it's critical to know that and to know that if that personality type doesn't fit, it's, it, it literally, again, threatens the whole family. And it doesn't have to be our like what we're saying. It could be, hey, we need executors and single focus things and, and, and we can work like that and be very profitable. Um, and I'm sure there's other dynamics too. But we found out for, for our culture, if they don't have that, they could, you could literally be the best designer. You could literally be the best designer. It will not work in our firm. That, this, was the, that was a, this was our biggest learning lesson, I think, this last over the past 12 months, 100%. Uh, as far as F9 architecture, culture, hiring, all that is like, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying about pointing back to the interviewing those other business leaders is uh, we, we even need to, we got lucky. I just think we got lucky on a lot of hires. Um, Not all of them. I, I would say, okay, we got lucky on some of them. And then the other, the other way. So it's like, how do you extend that interview process to make it work better? That you so you can identify that they're gonna hopefully fit into your culture, whatever that is. And so that's why I say maybe it's not all lucky because several of our employees are former students uh, at CU Boulder, and we got to engage with them a lot more, and we got to see that oh, they're a leader. You know, that's what I think one of the big things for us is like trying to identify people that can be autonomous, but then also provide leadership and be engaging with other people. And be fun to work with, uh, with if, whether they're working with other employees or they're working with us um, and proactive and all of those things. And another tip, too, that I didn't understand why New York firms kept asking me this. So it looked like I was coming from North Dakota, which I was. But, you know, I was also from Minnesota and Minnesota's new, no New York, but the um, Mayo Clinic in Rochester kind of had this different vibe just because the Mayo Clinic is not your traditional, you know, whatever store in a medium size. Uh, it's not your typical uh, company. You know, the Rochester is made up of IBM people and Mayo Clinic people. And every firm in New York kept asking, are you, do you live here or are you moving here? And I was like, why is that a question? Why does it care? Like, I'm coming to New York. I'm going to live in New York. You know, single-minded focus. They, they asked me that in Colorado too. But yeah, same thing. And I think they realized what we realized too is when you move, it's hard because you're transitioning from one of the most engaging atmospheres you've ever been in, which is college. And I don't know about now because of COVID and the way people are separated and, and all that. But it goes back to where it was before. Um, it is the most engaging. You have friends. You have fun. And then all of a sudden, you're in a firm. And that firm might be a high energy firm or just a normal firm. And besides being able to fit in your culture, do they have a community outside of that? So some people moved here from other places and they had family here or like their sister was moving here too. So they already had like- And those those employees who had exactly what Alex just said, either family or friends or something like that, like a, a group that they could at least attach to right away outside the firm are still with us. The people who didn't, uh, they're not. And th- that's exactly it. It's like, so I, I, again, sort of this, this rule of thumb of like, okay, how, like how do you just carry that through to a T? Do you ever deviate? I think you could deviate here and there. 
but uh, that's a pretty good one to bring up again if there is another rule to, to look yeah. at. And the substitute to that, and Lance and I have to figure out a way to kind of say this diplomatically or work it into, you know, hiring or maybe even into the questions. If you don't have that family or, uh, you know, like maybe four buddies from your college moved here and you're going to be roommates. If they said that, we'd be like, okay, you and your college roommates are going to do stupid college roommate stuff. Like it's going to be perfect. And you're going to come to work on time. You know, as long as you come to work on time, that's all great. Uh, one of our, uh, recent employees was a former athlete and he, he basically, he's retired. He's not doing that anymore. You know, obviously college level, anything is, is high level, but now he's coaching, you know, he's coaching high schoolers and things like that. So there needs to be, if there isn't that family, an extracurricular activity where you can not do this hard cutoff from the most engaging thing ever to not that it's not engaging, but oh man, you just cut social ties. It's almost instinctual, you know, like that's why people hate criticism on, on social media when they shouldn't care is because they feel like the tribe, which is mm. trolls is going against them because they don't want to literally kicked out of the circle, out of the fire circle, because that means death, right? Obviously in social media, like that's, it's fake. So like, you shouldn't worry about that. But on a real level is you are being kicked out of your fire tribe, wherever you are, if you're moving and you need another fire tribe, and it's work can't replace all of it. Yeah. So what does the future look like? What does the future look like for F9? What's the next three or four years? Is this, is this uh, intentional or is it just taking on what's next? Well, Alex and I, so here's one pivot we made recently is uh, we had, um, we did a company retreat last summer and uh, I was even thinking about it this morning. I was like, was that worth it? Oh yes. I have to remind myself it was worth it. It was expensive, but it was worth it because of what emerged from it. And one of the big things that emerged from it, which I think is so critical to, again, sort of reinforcing the culture and having employees uh, add to the culture. So then they take extreme ownership of the whole, of that thing. And then they're invested in it. And that was a sustainability committee. So Younger millennials and, and, and Zoomers, they're just, it's a buzzword. They just, they just have to be a part of sustainability, you know, the earth and all this other stuff. And uh, so with the forming that committee, one of the things was, is they go like, it was, a, it was really, it was kind of an in- interesting way that they, um, their idea and how, how they presented it was like, well, what if we did work from home? Wednesdays, and then we showed on the website about uh, how much carbon we save and less emissions, and what does that mean, and, and all of that. So now we now we do these these work from home Wednesdays, um, and, and it's on the website. You can go to the, like you can go to F nine, you look at sustainability, and like we literally make graphics and show like outwardly of 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 all of, all of that <coughs> with them and everything. So so that that was a hundred percent. Worth it, and so, but uh, where do we go? Where do we go from here? So then, why I'm bringing that up is like Alex and I. Then on Wednesdays now, it's back to just me and Al. Like today, the whole building is just me and Al, and so we're sort of recalibrating kind of our relationship and what that means. So now we're going to go have lunch, and literally, I don't know. Mark uh, is my short is the long answer here because. (laughs) I, I actually called out last night. Uh, we talked at like from like right before I was about to go fishing after work. And I said, I, I want, I just want to plant a seed. Like, what do you, what do you want to do with F9 moving ahead? Uh, so we're, I don't, you know, maybe he wants to spill the beans uh, now, but well, I'll go. give you, I'll give you a preview. The conversation will go deeper and there are more nuances, but I think there was a transition uh, last year that Lance and I know about financially, but like it's a deeper undercurrent and it goes back to our roots. Basically, when we started the firm, we were surviving. We were surviving and then growing. And our main concern was feeding all the staff, feeding the firm, making sure it works. And after last year, we did a whole bunch of work. We had a whole bunch of people and we're like, why aren't we as profitable as we should? The bottom line sucked at the end of last year. Yeah, we we definitely should be, be more profitable. And then we realized like, no, we need to up fees, right? And then once we up fees, essentially like it, it, transition to, okay, we are now an established firm. It's not just Lance and I and some employees, new employees. It's Lance and I and some employees who know what they're doing and add severe, add extreme value to projects. Like they are really, really good. 
And we have developed training systems to help uh, younger people, you know, get up to speed faster. So now I think we are in the boat of, and it took 10 years. We are not a startup firm. We are an established firm who will probably keep expanding one per year in a smarter, more efficient way. And we will be more profitable and we will use those profits for X, Y, and Z. And I don't know if this is saying too much to you, but to us, it is a shift from a startup mindset to an established profitable mindset, because it's easy for me and you to say, Hey, that should be your goal from the beginning. But when you are literally almost starving because there's not enough money, that does not matter. It matters that you get the work, you execute the work, you feed it through, you get referrals and and you grow. This Uh, is, yeah, this is the most selective I think we've ever been in the last quarter, maybe quarter and a half on clients we'll take. Um, And we're very hard-lined about fees, you know, very... The inflation is so crazy. Everybody hears it every single podcast we do, but like, it's so important to bring it up uh, because, because it affects your bottom line. As we saw, it's like, well, there there was other factors too, but it was like, I'm literally looking at, and I know Al is too, month by month now. Oh, we did that house for X amount of dollars. Well, it's it's April. Uh, Everything went up 10%, you know, literally. So how do we compensate for that? Um, how do we compensate for that? And then like, are we adjusting fees that, that kind of quickly? Their names are Lance Psycho and Alex Gore. The firm's name is F9 Productions. You can learn more about them at F9productions.com. Go subscribe to the podcast at insidethefirmpodcast.com. Check out their course, revitrocketship.com. Could you talk a little bit about Revit Rocketship real quick? Explain what that is. Yep. So just briefly, we made a course for our employees to learn Revit quickly and basically model how construction gets built because the more responsibility we take on that end, the more reward we get in lesser questions, more uh, positive feedback from contractors, uh, better referrals. So that whole system is in RevitRocketship.com. So you don't have to start from scratch and take all these different people's ideas and try to monstrosity put th- something together. And it's been so popular that uh, Nick Renard, he's, he's on a podcast. He knows Revit, has an actual firm, took the course later and said, oh, I've been doing Revit wrong. This is way better. <laughs> <laughs> so go check it out. Money back guaranteed. It's not that much. Uh, and you'll learn a new way to do it. Yeah. So whether you're just starting out with Revit or whether you've been using Revit for years, go check out RevitRocketship.com. Lance, just before we, we jump off here, talk a little bit about the fishing show real quick. It's called Catch You with Lance. I think everybody should follow their dreams. I'm so serious. You're, I agree. Dreams and passion. Yep. And I think everybody should do it. Uh, I think Al maybe cite the book that this comes from, but everybody should do it before the age of 40. So I'm 39 because then if you if you go, go bankrupt, then the author of whoever said that is like, oh, then you have your 40s to make up ground. You can still potentially retire uh, at retirement age. So that's been my latest endeavor is uh, I, I keep checking off these boxes. Like, right, is like be an architect. Great. Be a builder. Great. Be a developer. Be a podcaster. Be a professor. And my mother uh, insists on telling the story every single time that uh, – my wife is tired of hearing it, but like when we go up for 4th of July or we're just around other friends and she's like, yeah, when Lance was, when Lance was little and what in his school books, he would write what he wants to be. He wanted to be a professional fisherman. And so uh, I was like, now it's now or never. And so, yeah, so I launched, I launched a, if everybody wants to see my fishing escapades, they are super fun. I promise. And I will show you some beautiful scenery from Colorado. So if you go to YouTube, it's uh, fishing with Lance. And uh, it's super fun. Al likes to call it catchy with Lance. It is not. It is fishy with Lance. I am going to do a special episode when I have his, we're going to take his boys out and we're going to call it catchy with Lance. And not psycho fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Although my brother. That will be your brand when you sell stuff. Psycho fishing. Well, I don't know. My brother is uh, a professional hunter and he's starting a channel that's going to be called uh, American Psycho because that's how you pronounce our last name. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I I will have links to all of that, including the YouTube channel at the show notes for this episode. So just go check out the show notes for this episode. Lance and Al, thank you for um, all you do. 
for all you do, for sharing everything that you're doing at F9 on your podcast inside the firm. Um, always contributing to the profession to make the profession a better place. I appreciate you for individually for what you are doing for the profession. And I thank you for coming here today to share your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. All same to you. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, go write a review. I would love to know what you think of this podcast and it helps other architects find us. So go do five-star rating if you like it, share it, write a review, I'd love it, and share a link to this episode with a friend because that's how we've grown. That's how Entree Architect has grown to serve thousands of architects throughout the world just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE for their support of this episode. I ask you to support them because they support us. And if they're supporting us, they're supporting you. So go support them. Got it? Go support our sponsors. Links to our sponsors. So you can click on those links and go right to them. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we shared today are available at the show notes for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. All the shows are there. entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows. I think there are 11 of them there now. Go there, gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And I hope you're going to join us in Austin, November 1st through November 3rd, 2022. Those are the dates for the Entree Architect Community Annual Meeting, our first ever live and in-person conference for you, the small firm architect community. Visit entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting right now to learn more. That's entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. And I will see you in Austin in November. Don't miss this. This is going to be great. entrearchitect.com slash annual meeting. It's a conference for you, small firm architects. Thank you for listening today to this episode of Entree Architect Podcast. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, 
Jeff Eccles, and Katie Kangas as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.